Hi, I'm Brandon Chaos, and welcome to the Chaos Theory. There's a phenomenon known as lost media. It's old TV show episodes, films, and music that has been lost somewhere along the way. Sometimes the media is deliberately destroyed. Sometimes it is destroyed by accident, or it's just lost. It's a phenomenon that is gaining a lot of traction all over the internet on places like Reddit, Discord, YouTube, and other places. Many internet sleuths are working around the clock, searching the depths of the internet archives to find any trace of these lost media items. Something that may be lesser known is found media. This is video and audio clips that have unknown origins. Many people also work to find the origins of these found media items and many times are very unsuccessful. As someone who has created media themselves, I know the heartache of losing a project that I worked very hard on. Whether it's music I've recorded, poems or stories I've written, uh, radio shows and podcasts that I've broadcasted, or videos that I shot and edited. As I've gotten older, I've become more determined to archive everything that I have and organize it very meticulously. The plan is that when I'm gone, to have a domain saved and to leave very specific instructions to have my entire archive uploaded for the world to see, hear, and read. In this day and age, I feel like it's most impactful to cement your digital legacy as best you can. It's almost like a digital time capsule exposed for the world and for future generations who may appreciate the very concise way in which you have allowed them to have a good hard look at what life was like during your time period. It's unfortunate to have lost so many physical memories along the way. I am also proud of the archives that I've been working very hard to create with terabytes worth of video, audio, and radio program logs, writings, and pictures. Maybe someday before I'm gone, someone somewhere may stumble upon some media that I have lost along the way and return it to me, so that I may add it to my archives to share with the future of the world. Somewhere, there is a band that may have lost a song that they recorded sometime in the early 80s. It's possible that this band recorded one song, never intending for it to be heard by anyone, yet it somehow made it to German radio airwaves unknowingly, and then they broke up and moved on, never thinking about that song ever again. Maybe they have copies of the song and many others that they recorded before breaking up, songs that many people who are searching for them would love to hear. It has been dubbed the most mysterious song on the internet, sometimes called Like the Wind or Blind the Wind, among several other speculative names drawn from listeners attempting to decipher the lyrics in the song. Seems like the mystique has taken over and many internet users around the world have been working tirelessly attempting to figure out the title and artist of the song to no avail. The story begins with a German man named Darius, who, like many young folks in the 80s and 90s, used to record radio broadcasts onto cassette tapes. 
He would then use a double tape deck to record just the songs onto the tapes that he would then label as precisely as possible and keep them numbered and archived. In his archive, there were many songs that had been mistakenly labeled by the wrong name. Some like Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart was labeled as I Wear My Sunglasses at Night. Just a minor mistake in an era where information was not as easily accessible as it is today. However, in his archive, there were many songs that he had no idea the title or artist. He would take those songs and transfer them to a tape that he would label as Unknown Pleasures, an obvious nod to the title of the debut album by one of his favorite bands, Joy Division. In 2004, Darius's sister bought him a web domain, a place where he could upload and share his Unknown Pleasures, in hopes that he could finally put the title and artist to these songs. It proved to be very helpful in that he was able to figure out the artists and titles to many of the unknown songs in his collection. However, there was one song that remained a mystery. He was able to pinpoint the time period in which the song was recorded. It was to be between 1982 and 1984 from a Norddeutscher Rundfunk broadcast in Germany. Internet sleuths were able to figure out that the song's chorus used a certain patch on a Yamaha DX7 synthesizer, which was not released until October of 1983. Darius also lent some more help in narrowing down the search of the time period as well, revealing that the song was recorded on a Techniques tape deck that was released in 1984 making it most likely that the song was aired on NDR sometime near the end of 1984, which would make sense because several of the other songs on the same tape as the mystery song were popular at the same time period. To help you get a feel for what we're working with here, this is the mystery song in its entirety.
we go any further with the history of how far this search has come, I'd like to give my analysis of the song. First thing that really stuck out to me was the Yamaha DX7 that plays prominently during the chorus with this long sustained notes. That part just feels really out of place for me, but we'll come back to this. The song also features a single guitar, a bass, drums, vocals, and another synth part that plays subtly in the background of the song. That makes six parts altogether in this arrangement. It's possible that the singer either plays guitar, bass, or keys, which means that the five parts, excluding the DX7, could have been recorded onto a four-track recorder. A common practice during the analog era of self-recording was that if you had a song that required more than four tracks to be recorded onto a four-track recorder, it would be to record the four tracks, then move them all onto one track together after mixing them. Then you have three free tracks to add more layers. It's possible that the other parts were recorded, then the DX7 was added later, and then never mixed in properly with the rest of the song, which would be the reason why it stands out so much. However, the vocals are also buried in the mix, which means it's also possible that when the five original parts were recorded, that they were never mixed or mixed poorly before being moved onto a single track. This is actually a common mistake with amateur home recording engineers. Let's take a moment to uh, revisit the Yamaha DX7. While the theory I presented is totally plausible, the one major flaw is that in 1984, the DX7 cost $2,000, which today would equal $5,000, which means that even if this is some amateur band recording at home, they definitely had the money to buy a very pricey synthesizer, which means they would also have the money to record on something better than a simple four-track recorder. Another possible scenario is that they took their rough demo to a local studio that had a DX7 and paid the engineer to record the synth track. This would be a very inexpensive way to get a nice professional synth sound on the recording. But the question is why? Why just add a DX7 to get a certain sound when it isn't even really necessary? This could bring us to the possibility that maybe this band had financial backing from a record label and they recorded this in a studio that had a DX7 and they liked that particular patch and decided to add it in after completing the rest of the song. Let's also take a good look at another element of the song that really seems to stand out, the guitar. The guitar has a very clean tone, playing a very bubbly, almost modern pop-punk or indie pop riff with no added effects, which is very popular among post-punk, goth, and new wave bands at the time. The guitar seems like it would fit better in the power-pop genre of that time period, like for bands such as Cheap Trick, The Romantics, or The Outfield. Moving on to the vocals, drums, and bass. Those three parts feel more like they belong in the same song together. The rhythm section of drums and bass are very reminiscent of the 70s and 80s post-punk music. The singer is definitely using a fake singing voice, which was not uncommon at that time, 
It was inspired by the late 70s post-punk scene in England, and a lot of singers tried to emulate that sound. This one thing, the vocals, which should easily help narrow down the search for this band, is actually making it a lot more difficult because of how common this vocal style was at this time. In 2007, Darius's sister Lydia saw some of the interest generated by the search for the artist and title of this mystery song, so she decided to get in on the search herself, posting clips of the song on several sites, hoping to put an end to this more than two decades long mystery. Lydia's involvement brought on even more interest in the origin of the song. For several years, the song was passed around the internet slowly picking up more interest in getting to the bottom of this. Of course, everyone wants to be that guy who solves a mystery that has been going on for close to four years now. This has brought many trolls crawling out of the woodwork, some with very extravagant yet not very well thought out stories about how this was their dad's band or they know the guy who recorded it. These trolls are usually found out pretty quickly and weeded out right away. However, Sometimes a possible, credible lead pops up. In July of 2019, someone contacted the Facebook page of the Greek band Statues in Motion. And it just happened to be that keyboardist Billy Knight is the one who controls the Facebook page. The person sent a clip of the song and Billy responded back that no, this was not their song. It seemed like someone may have solved the mystery, but it was quickly shot down. However, Shortly after the first interaction with Billy, someone else contacted him, again asking if this was their song, to which he responded that it was. A little background on Statues in Motion. They were a Greek new wave slash post-punk band who got together in 1981 and attracted the attention of a record label shortly thereafter. While recording the album, issues developed between the band members regarding financial issues as well as numerous delays in the release of their self-titled album. So the band called it quits before the album was ever released in 1983. The members all went their separate ways, and Billy Knight and singer Alvin Dean haven't had any contact with each other whatsoever. Billy believes that Alvin may have taken off to Birdland and could have possibly passed away sometime in the late 1980s. When Billy finally admitted that the song was theirs, he said it was one of five songs left off the album due to time constraints. One of the other outtakes, Pinky Complex, made its way to a 30-year anniversary re-release of the album in 2013. While the vocalist on this mystery song does sound strikingly like Alvin Dean, the instrumentation of the song is very uncharacteristic of Statues in Motion style. The mystery song has very prominent guitar played all throughout the song, as well as live drums. While Statues of Motion were more of a synth-driven band and used drum machines in lieu of a live drummer. Also, the album was recorded before the DX7 was available to the public, which makes Billy's claim of ownership a little hard to believe. However, in his conversations, Billy did on several occasions refer to the song as Alvin's Song. 
So the possibility here is that the band recorded a demo before breaking up, and Alvin took the song to Berlin and performed it in a new band. While much isn't known of Alvin after the breakup of Statues in Motion, we do know of a song that Alvin recorded post-Statues in Motion with a musician by the name of Giannis Beltekis, a song called Ghosts. Here is that song. While you can hear obvious similarities between Alvin Dean and the singer of the mystery song, while it is completely possible that a song that Alvin recorded following the breakup of Statues in Motion exists, it still leaves questions unanswered like, how did this demo make it to NDR's airwaves? Radio stations have had very strict program logs that are usually written up for the week during the weekend. Obviously, changes are made when listener requests are made. But even then, the songs are logged because the radio stations have to pay out royalties to artists, producers, and labels. It is believed that the DJ who played the song is Paul Baskerville, a British transplant living in Germany who just happens to still work at the same radio station. Several people have reached out to Paul and played the song for him in hopes that he could put an end to this mystery once and for all. But upon listening to the song, Paul had no clue who the band was. He did attempt to lend help to solving the puzzle by playing the song on his current show. However, no one came forward to claim ownership or to even say that they knew who did the song. In fact, several people called the station to demand they never play the song again. Paul Baskerville even did a television interview, which may imply that he doesn't want to help any further because he ended in saying, quote, I don't understand what the big deal is. It's not even that great of a song. Another possible lead would later pop up. A musician who calls himself Ronnie Rocket claims that he is the guitarist on the mystery song and claims that the vocalist is Christian Brandle and that there is a keyboardist, bassist, and drummer also on the track and that they also recorded some other demos with a sax player who is supposed to play on this song but never got a chance to record his part. Now the biggest issue with this claim is that Ronnie Rocket is a well-known bullshitter who has been caught on many occasions outright lying, ripping off guitar parts from other artists, and even attempting to file copyright claims on songs that he had no part in creating, including the mystery song. 
Ronnie filed a copyright claim in Austria claiming ownership of the song. However, part of the copyright process is proving ownership, and Ronnie has been unable to do that. The only so-called proof that Ronnie shown to anyone was a picture of a tape with the demos, including the mystery song labeled as Excommunication, which is not even a line in the song and probably his own poor interpretation of a line in the song. He also produced a highly questionable instrumental version of the song, which he claims is one of three versions of the song recorded. However, aside from the piss-poor attempt of passing off a newly recorded instrumental of the song is legit, tapeheads quickly knew that the photo of the cassette that Ronnie sent was of a blank tape that was, wasn't manufactured until 1987 at the earliest. Therefore, it's pretty easy to write off Ronnie's claim as nothing more than an opportunist attempting to cash in on a viral phenomenon. Another possibility that is not widely accepted is a music school in Germany, not far from the NDR station, has a course in creating pop music called Pop Course. As a final project, students will collaborate on a song together. And ironically, those songs got played on NDR in a certain block of time. It's possible that Darius may have recorded this song during the time slot in which NDR was playing songs from pop course students. This theory also makes the search a bit harder. It's completely possible that these students may not have ever even heard the final product. Each person playing on the track may have recorded their part and then went on back to class never hearing their finished work. However, it was discovered this, the school used the same producer for every song recorded at Pop Course between 1980 and 1994. Someone was able to reach out to that producer and he claimed that he never heard the song. You'd think that if anyone knew the song, it would be the producer at the school where it was recorded. Therefore, this theory is dead in the water. That's not really the case here. It is possible that in that 14 year period, he produced countless forgettable generic pop songs that he may have simply forgotten this one as well. The most recent lead came when a woman from California went onto a YouTube posting of the mystery song to talk about a time in, the late, in late 1984 where she was in Cologne, Germany at a house party and met two brothers. Thomas and Michael Fisher, who gave her a signed copy of a 7-inch single from their band, The Cave. She didn't own a record player, so the record just ended up in a box for 37 years until her son discovered it. So she took to YouTube to see if she could find the songs and listen for the first time. This is when she also stumbled on the mystery song. While the song Remain in Dark has a similar guitar sound and chord progression, the vocals are a little off from the mystery song. However, the B-side, Dull Reflection, tells a different story. The vocals seem to be dead on with the mystery song. While some of the people still dedicated to solving this mystery think they may have located members of the cave, no attempts have yet to be made to contact them. Although someone did reach out to the producer of their single, and he said he had no knowledge of the song. That doesn't completely rule out the possibility that the cave are the band that recorded the mystery song. 
it's possible that the producer did produce this song and just doesn't remember it. And it's also possible that it was produced by someone else. The producer did admit that his studio did have a Yamaha DX7 at that time. Here's both songs by The Cave.
still remains unsolved, there are still plenty of people out there consistently offering up leads that oftentimes lead to more dead ends or they are quickly ruled out. A few other suggestions as to the origin of the song are more of the supernatural persuasion. Many people believe that the song may have come from another dimension or another reality and somehow slipped through into our reality. Another one suggests that maybe this song was recorded either in modern times or sometime in the near future and made to sound like an 80s song and was sent back in time by a time traveler as a subtle hint or to see if anyone noticed. While all theories are fascinating, the biggest possibility still remains that it was probably a demo that Paul Baskerville or another DJ just had lying around from some local band and it accidentally got played on the air and never logged. We do know that the song definitely originated on NDR because someone figured out that the 10 kilohertz line in the song has been erased, something that NDR admitted was a signature of theirs. Sometimes radio stations do that 
to uh, subtly lowers song quality, which much like hitting the post, which is when DJs talk up to the instrumental of the song, is a way to deter pirates from full length and full quality versions of the song and selling them or giving them away for free. NDR also prides themselves on never forgetting. So they also have been going over their archives in search of the song. Gemma, an organization that keeps track of every song played on German radio since 1933, also got involved in the search and have been searching their catalog for the song as well. With as many people all over the world who have become involved, radio stations worldwide have even played the song, you'd think that someone involved with the song, or someone who knows the band, and maybe saw them perform in clubs around Germany, would have come forward with credible, credible proof. Yet the origin of the song is still a mystery, one that may never be solved. If you have anything to contribute, feel free to email the show at planetchaosradio at gmail.com. You can also send us any mysteries that you would like to see us tackle for future episodes. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram. It's at Chaos Theory Radio. You can also find me, Brandon Chaos, on all your favorite social media platforms. Also, be sure to visit planetchaosradio.com for all things related to the Chaos Radio Network. Until next time, I am Brandon Chaos, and you have been listening to The Chaos Theory. See you next time. Goodbye.